We're going to begin today at uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18. So if you want to turn there. We began last week on uh, thinking about the image of Christ and what that is, what it means for us. And we saw that it was God's plan from the very beginning. And in fact, he is working on it until completion. He will certainly bring it to pass that we would be in his image. A man once asked the master artist Rembrandt, at what point a picture or painting was complete? Rembrandt replied, a painting is complete when it expresses the intent of the artist. Well, so it is with us. Our lives are not complete until they express the, the intent of the master, of, of our Lord, his intent for us so we are on the road towards that but we're not there yet and he has a design in mind of what we shall be what we shall look like and he is faithfully accomplishing that in us second corinthians chapter 3 verse 18 but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now we will we'll come back and really look at this verse in detail in a few moments but I thought it would be beneficial for us to in helping us to more fully understand it to look at some background Material on this verse. And to do so, we need to go all the way back to the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus, and chapter 33. In Exodus, God has the... Uh, the children of Israel out of uh, the land of Egypt and by the uh, Mount Sinai where he is giving the Ten Commandments and other instructions. And in what had happened in the, the chapter just prior to this one in, in uh, Exodus 32 is that while Moses is up there getting all these instructions, the people become restless down below in the valley and, and think well maybe he's not even going to turn up and so they uh, they decide to make an idol and give all their their gold and jewelry to Aaron and his story is he put it in a fire and out popped this golden calf just, just popped out of the fire you're right Aaron um, and so uh, Moses is uh, 
not pleased with this. And, and so when he finds out what's going on, he, he threw down the uh, tablets of the commandments. And remember, he's the only person who's ever broken all ten commandments at once. <laughs> and, and so uh, now he's without the ten commandments. Can you imagine his conversation with God? Well, you know, about those tablets that you wrote on so carefully... I've got some bad news. Well, of course, God knew what had happened, and God was of a mind to just destroy Israel, but Moses intercedes for them, and God is going to give them another set of commands. But now, before he does, and as part of Moses' pleading with the Lord, Moses also asked that God would not forsake them, not leave them, and in fact, that he would... He would show his glory to Moses. So that's where we pick up the story in Exodus 33, starting at verse 15. Then he, meaning Moses, said to God, If your presence does not go up with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So, we shall be separate, meaning distinct. Uh, we shall be distinct from, distinctly your people, your people and I, from all the people who are on the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And he said, please Show me your glory. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. Now now notice here that God ties in his glory with his goodness. Show me your glory, and God's response is, I will make all my goodness pass before you. We see the glory of God in, in his character, who he is, his goodness. That, in fact, that he is perfect in all his ways. And by his making his name known, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord to you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, Here's a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be, while, while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So God is going to show him just a portion of his glory just the hindsight of his glory because any more than that would totally consume Moses so I'll skip down to verse 6 in chapter 34 and the Lord passed before him and proclaimed here he's declaring his name the Lord the Lord God Merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. 
This is both the name and the character of God that he is proclaiming, as he had said before. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious and long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. Now, that word translated goodness there is um, chesed, Hebrew word chesed, which means like the, the loving kindness of God. And your version may say something about the, the, the love of God or his loving kindness, and that's pretty close to it. It's hard to translate that one word. Some places it's called his covenant loyalty. Uh, D.A. Carson makes a good case for the point of that this verb, or this word rather in Hebrew, chesed, is very similar to the Greek word that is translated grace. And that, that becomes important later on. So what he's really showing is his character ending with his grace and truth. Now, going on a little bit further into the story, uh, let's jump down to verse 29. <clears throat> so Moses was with the Lord for quite a while. In fact, verse 28 says that he was with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. So after that period of time, verse 29, we pick up. Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Then Moses called them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the children of Israel came near, and he gave them as commandments all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take off the veil until he came out. And he would come out and speak with the children of Israel, whatever he had been commanded. So when he went in to talk to the Lord, verse 34, he took off the veil as he was communicating directly with the Lord, Verse 35, and whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went to speak with the Lord. So that's some, some background of what's going on in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that leads up to the verse we're going to be looking at. Now, um, Let's go back just a moment to verse 6 of chapter 34. And, and the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in, in goodness or loving kindness or grace and truth. Abounding in chesed, grace and truth. Now, with all this in mind, the God revealing himself, uh, let's go to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. 
John 1, 14. And the word became flesh. This is Christ coming to this planet, being incarnated, becoming flesh. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The, the dwelling among us, the dwelling part there means he, he literally tabernacled among us. Uh, just as God in the Old Testament promised that his presence would be in the tabernacle of meeting and then in, in the temple and the Holy of Holies. Now he... The presence of God is tabernacling in the presence of men. He dwelt among us. He literally tabernacled among us. So he dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. God, show me your glory. And we beheld his glory. What kind of glory was it? The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. The unique one from the Father. And what did that glory look like? It was the glory of God the Father. And here's a description of it. Full of grace and truth. Which is when God appeared to Moses and he proclaimed his name and his character. He ended with this idea of full of grace and truth. So we have beheld the glory of God in Christ. Full of grace and truth and truth verse 16 and of his fullness we have all received and grace for grace grace for grace not necessarily grace upon grace but grace in place of grace that is there was a grace of in the Old Testament that, that God didn't just wipe out his people, but he was gracious to them and he gave them a way to uh, have something done about their sin, have a relationship with him and, and to be blessed by him. There was a certain grace in that. But when Christ came, there was a greater grace in that the law was done away in Christ. And we have a direct relationship with God through Christ because of the cross that idea is reinforced by verse 17 which says for the law was given through Moses but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ so the first appearance of grace in the law is superseded by the further grace the greater grace and revelation of Jesus Christ through whom grace and truth come so grace and truth come through Jesus Christ who is the image of God the exact representation of him now verse 18 nobody has ever seen God at any time including Moses had never really seen God he just saw a portion of his backside that's all that he could stand so no one has ever seen God at any time but the only begotten son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. He has made him known. Okay, now I think we're ready to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Because all these ideas come together in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 
having technical difficulties with my Britney Spears mic. How come it looks so much better, better on her? Oh, yeah, thank you. Yes, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 3. Um, let's pick up the context at verse 7. This is comparing now the difference between the ministry of Moses and the ministry of Christ. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, that would be like the Ten Commandments, if that was glorious, and it was, in its own way, it was glorious. If, if that ministry of death written on, and engraved on stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. So remember that story, how they couldn't look at him because of the, the glory on his face, which was passing away in receiving the Ten Commandments. Then Paul asked, if that was glorious, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. There was a certain level of glory in the law, and Moses reflected that, but there is exceeding glory in Christ who redeems us and sets us free from the law. That's the idea. Uh, Look at, uh, pick it up at verse 12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, until right now, this present time, he means... The same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. What that means is as Jews, even this is true even today, as they read the Old Testament, there's a, like a veil over their eyes to blind them to the truth because they're not seeing Christ in it. They're seeing what they want to see in it. And the veil, in the verse 14, the veil is taken away in Christ. But, verse 15, but even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. That's how the veil is gotten rid of, when one turns to the Lord. Now, it's interesting, going back to Exodus 34, that whenever Moses talked to God, what did he do with the veil? Took the veil away, right? So, um, and so he's the pattern. To, to communicate with God, there has to be a taking away of the veil. And that taking away of the veil... Verse 16 says, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The only way to understand the Old Testament rightly is to see Christ in it. To turn 
to the Messiah, to Christ as the Lord, and then things start clearing up. Oh, that's what it meant. And as long as they insist on the law without Christ, they cannot see anything but the law. Once they turn to Christ, they can see him even in the Old Testament. Um, verse 17. Well, uh, go back to 16. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, verse 17 explains that more. Now, the Lord to whom one turns. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There's freedom. Freedom from the bondage of the Old Testament. Liberty from the law. When, when one turns to the Lord, there's this freedom. Now, we get to verse 18, which is talking about us as believers. Uh, keeping all those things previously looked at in mind. Verse 18, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same glory, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now let's take some time to look at this phrase by phrase, this very important and kind of complex sentence by Paul here. But we all. This means that this applies to every single one of us. This idea of growing into the image of Christ from glory to glory is not reserved for a few super saints. This is intended for every single believer, including you. What we're about to say, this means you. You could write your name in there. But we, including me, write my name. We all, every one of us, this applies for us. This is great news that we all need to know. But we all with unveiled face. We are, we are looking at this without the veil. With unveiled face. Why? Because verse 16, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. With unveiled face. Uh, Moses unveiled his face when receiving revelation from God and so we look into God's revelation with unveiled face and we are told that the, the removing of the veil is done by the spirit remember 16 and 17 together here nevertheless when one turns to the Lord the veil is taken away now the Lord is the spirit so it is the Spirit of God who removes the veil so that we can look into the Word of God with unveiled face. How does the Spirit do that? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul wrote in the first book to the Corinthians in chapter 2 that it is the Holy Spirit who works in us to illuminate us, to, to give us spiritual understanding of what God is saying. And that without the Holy Spirit, it is impossible for, for us in our natural state to understand what this word is saying. It just, it won't make sense to people. And it only starts making sense to us as we turn to the Lord and as the Spirit begins His work in us to cast light 
on these pages. He illuminates the word and illumines us. He shows us what it means. He teaches us in our own spirit. This is, this is what it means. So he takes away the veil so we can look at God's revelation by the spirit. But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror. Now this phrase beholding as in a mirror. That four words in English is just one word in Greek. And it's kind of a difficult word to translate. Because this is the only place that it's found in the entire New Testament. In fact this word is, is only found a couple of other places outside the New Testament. One of them being in a famous quote from Plato um, where he was talking about he was, uh, he was encouraging drunkards to look at their reflection to see what kind of persons they are and he used this word for that look at your reflection to see who you really are you drunkards well so it's, a, it's kind of a hard word to nail down but it, it certainly has more than merely the idea of, of seeing or beholding because uh, that would be uh, obviously a word like blepo in, in Greek. It uh, be easier to say that way. So this, is, this means more than that. Um, and so the New American Standard and the New King James and some others handle it by saying beholding as in a mirror. Now, Let's break this down a little bit more because the verb part of this, beholding, uh, the word itself means contemplating. It's not just something that you happen to glance at or you happen to see, but when you contemplate something, what does that mean to you to contemplate? You're really, you're really thinking about it, right? You're, you're really taking some time to think through it. You're contemplating. It's like meditating on something. So you're taking time to think through it, contemplating, beholding. And this, the verb is also a present participle, which indicates to us it's something that's ongoing. Not something you do one time in the past and you forget about it. But present participle, ongoing action, as we are beholding, continually beholding, continually looking at this, and it's um, as in a mirror, uh, this, the reflection, reflection idea here. Now, earlier in, in his letter to the Corinthians, if you turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Um, the last verse there, 1 Corinthians, excuse me, next to last verse, 1 Corinthians 13, 12. First Corinthians 13, 12. But now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face now I know in part but then I shall know just as I also am known when we see Jesus face to face um, then we'll see everything clearly 
And in fact, 1 John 3, 2 says, upon seeing him as he is, we shall be changed into that very same likeness at that moment upon seeing him. So when we see him, we, should, we will know even as we are known. But right now, right now, how much do we know of Christ? How much do we know of his glory? What percentage? Maybe 1%. Who knows? But it's a very small. If Moses saw just the hindsight of the glory of God, we are seeing less. Um, but we see enough of his glory to know he is worthy of all honor and praise and glory. But right now we see as in a mirror. Now, the problem here is culture. Because in our culture, in our times, to look in a mirror, unfortunately, they show every blemish. Right? They're, they're pretty exacting. You look in a mirror and, sorry to tell you, but that's what you, you, what you see is what you got. Um, and we don't blame the mirror like, you stupid mirror, how long have you been here and you're still giving me this wrong reflection? It's giving you the accurate reflection. But not so back in this culture, 2,000 years ago. They didn't have the quality of mirrors we had now. Usually they were metal of some sort that they tried to make as smooth as they could and you got the idea of your reflection more than the true reflection. And so that's why he's saying here, in verse 12, now we see in a mirror dimly. Not exactly, but as in looking at a mirror dimly. And so you, you keep looking at it, but it's not quite perfectly revealed. It will be revealed, but not yet. Now go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. So, but we all with unveiled face because the Holy Spirit takes away the veil as he works in our heart to illuminate us are beholding as we continue to contemplate as in a mirror so we have to really focus we're beholding the glory of the Lord um the glory of the Lord is what we are looking for. As the Spirit takes away the veil and we look into this, what James calls the perfect law of liberty, and we look into this word, we are, what are we to contemplate? The glory of the Lord. Beholding the glory of the Lord. Where do we see that glory? John 1. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the father. Full of grace and truth. So you have to look to Christ. To see the glory of God in the scripture. You have to look to Christ. He has ultimately revealed 
the glory of God. Now we see him as in a mirror, not face to face yet, but we still see him. We still look for him and want to contemplate his glory. Hebrew 12 says, let us lay aside every weight and every sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith keep looking unto Jesus who is the author the beginning and the finisher the end of our faith he who began that faith in us that work will complete it until the day of Christ and so we look for his glory. So what are you looking for when you come to the Bible? What are you looking for? Some of you older folks may remember a guy named W.C. Fields who was uh, not a believer by any stretch of the imagination except for maybe a, a believer in that a, a sucker was born every moment. He was, a, he was a movie actor, uh, a circus uh, owner, and con man extraordinaire. And um, it never believed in God, but as he was nearing his death, a friend came into his room and was shocked to see him looking through the Bible, something he had never done before. And he's just looking through it and thumbing through it. And, and his friend asked him, W.C., what are you looking for? Looking for loopholes, my friend. Looking for loopholes. So he was hoping to find some kind of a way out of his mess. He was looking for a loophole to God's plan. He didn't find one. But when you come looking in God's revelation when you open this book what are you looking for let me tell you something that might um, upset you a moment but hear me out if you come to the Bible looking for answers to life's problems you are not likely to find them. If you come to the Bible looking for answers to life's problems, you are not likely to find them. The person that does that is not saying, I want to know God and see God and live for God. He's saying, or she's saying, I want I want a better marriage. I want more success in my business. I, I want to know how to deal with fear. To how, I want to know how to deal with my kids. I want to... It's all self-focused. God is not going to honor that. But if you come to this book looking for the glory of Christ, you will find it, and through that you will find the answers to life's questions. It doesn't work the other way around. It just doesn't work. You always have to put Christ first. 
You seek him. Matthew 6 is how Jesus said, I, I know that you have need of all these things. Don't seek after all the stuff that the Gentiles seek, but you seek first what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then, after that, then all these things will be added to you. But note the order. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You don't need to learn a certain skill set. You don't need to learn five steps to a happy marriage or don't go down that trail at all. Those are dead ends. Look for the glory of Christ in his word to seek to know him and to honor him and to live for him and all the other things will become clear in light of that. That's how it works. We don't miss out on answers because we don't know which passage to turn to. It's more likely that we miss out on the answer because we don't turn to the Lord of the Scripture. Turn to Him. So we all, this is for every one of us, with unveiled face because the Holy Spirit takes the veil away, are contemplating, looking earnestly, continually at the glory of the Lord, looking, looking for God's glory here. And here's what happens. As we do that, we are being transformed. We are being transformed. The are being is a present passive participle just reminding us that you don't change yourself. You can't just decide, you know, I'm going to be a better person. I mean, that's a noble thought. That's good if you want to be a better person. But you can't change your skin any more than a leper, uh, leopard can change his spots. Or I guess a leper. Either way. We, we can't make that kind of transformation. It takes God. We are being transformed. Present passive participle. We are being. It's a continuing, continuing work by God. Now, to give you an example, let's say you decide you are, you're going to work on your tan. So um, you decide you're going to go outside and lay out in the sun and work on your tan. So you lay out your blanket or whatever out on your patio and looking somewhat like a beached whale, you are exposing yourself to the, to the rays of the sun. And what's happening here? There's a, there's a chemical, there's a biochemical process that's taking place as the rays of the sun are interacting with the uh, chemicals on your skin and changing the pigment color of your skin and so that's going on and you're probably not thinking of the biochemical processes that are happening you're just getting a tan but 
really you aren't tanning yourself you are being tanned the sun is what is the active element in this the same way being changed into Christ likeness is not something that you do God does it as you present yourself into his word to seek his glory just like to, to get a tan you can't just stay inside in the, the dark coolness of your home and say I think I'll get a tan in here it's much more cool now, you have to make the effort go outside expose yourself to the rays of the sun and to get that tan so to be in the word to expose yourself to the rays of the light of God's word so it can do its active work not on the surface of your skin but it does the active work on your spirit inside that's how you are being transformed as you look at the word of God we are so but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into something specific into the same image into the same image is the goal of Christ likeness to be we were originally created remember in Genesis 1 26 and 27 to be in the image of God and the likeness of God and so now to be recreated into the same image is to be to look like Christ so the transforming power of being in the word seeking the glory of Christ is to change us into that same image and as you behold you contemplate the glory of the Lord God begins to affect the change inside of you to transform you into his image and this is from glory to glory now I think for our purposes here as believers what this means is that we have a certain stage of glory just because we belong to Christ we are part of God's family we are in his kingdom but we are not yet glorified meaning we will look just like Jesus one day we are going from this level of glory spiritual level wherever we are to another level to another level always towards the glory of Christ as we behold that image how glorious Christ is God changes us more and more into that same image from one level of glory to the next level of glory till we look like Christ and that's how it works and it is just as by the spirit of the Lord or the way the new American standard says it well or from the Lord who is the Spirit. Uh, either way, the translation maintains the same two main points, and that is the, the Lord who is the Spirit is the one who is doing this work inside of us, and it is by the Spirit or from the Lord who is the Spirit, God does the work. We just have to seek His glory. So, since we are to focus on the glory of the Lord, what is that? How do we see it? What makes God glorious? Well, it's who He is. 
And in the, uh, in the coming weeks of this series, I'm going to focus more on, on some of those issues and how we can see the glory of the Lord, what that means for us. You have more in your outline, on the back of your outline, that we will not get to today. Um, and because I'm on a press schedule here, in the next eight weeks we will not get back to this. So this is something you might want to read on your own just by way of application. Let me just close with a couple of personal notes of application. Years ago, when I was grappling with this verse myself, I wanted to know what, what does the glory of the Lord look like? How can I see God's glory? Well, I understood that it was by looking into the Word, and I thought, well, I could see how that would be if I say, read the Gospel of John. That reflects a lot of the glory of God. Or the book of Romans. Or, or some of the other books. Hebrews. But there are certain other books that would that'd be hard to see glory. I, I thought. So I decided I was going to pray to God. God, show me your glory as I read Leviticus thinking if God can show me glory in Leviticus I can see it anywhere have you read Leviticus it's hard okay and it's hard to see how does this apply to me or us today Leviticus but I prayed this God I'm going to put you to the test on this I, I truly want to see your glory I'm going to read Leviticus please show me your glory. And every day as I read Leviticus, and I'd read just a chapter or two a day, I prayed the same prayer, God, show me your grace. <clears throat> I could hardly bear it. God so impressed upon me his glory in every reading that every day he brought me to my Knees in tears. As I beheld holiness of God in the demands he was making, how he opened my heart up to see things I had never seen before, that I was just looking at ritual and methodology and so forth, how he opened me up to the spiritual truth behind it and just broke my heart every day and filled me so much with a clear understanding of his glory that I have to confess there were times I didn't want to read it because I didn't know if I could take it anymore to be that close to God it's a frightful thing so I, I want to encourage you to try that not necessarily with Leviticus but you do whatever book or just read his word but ask God I want to see you I want to see your glory here I think we'll just end there today let's pray Heavenly Father, we are just so amazed at your grace toward us. 
you indeed say that you are gracious to whom you will be gracious and compassionate to whom you will be compassionate, not because any of us deserve your grace or compassion, but simply because of your great love. We ask, God, that we might really be able to behold your glory as your Holy Spirit illuminates our hearts and opens us up to this truth to see your glory and to bow before you and submit our lives to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God